guys and girls and everybody. This is Lissa Mandel from the Bitch Seat Podcast. As some of you may know, we are a part of the Atlantic Transmission Network, which is a network that puts out all kinds of great podcasts. A great way to support our show and our sister shows is to visit theatlantictransmission.com and click on the Amazon link at the top of the homepage. It's all the same great Amazon stuff at the same great price, but we get a small piece for sending you there. So if you want to keep shows like The Bitch Seat going, keep us happy, then, uh, you know, throw in your pennies. You don't even have to pay anything extra. Hi guys. Hey guys. <laughs> hey guys. What's hey, up? hey, 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 welcome. Welcome the to Bitch the Bitch Seat. Seat podcast. I'm Lissa. I'm Phil. And uh, our guest today is going to be the uh, hilarious MK Paulson. And uh, if you're just joining us, uh, you've checked us out on uh, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher. You've subscribed to us. Or Maybe- you've downloaded this episode. Hopefully you've downloaded this episode. Uh, but then also subscribe. And, you know, check us out on uh, on the Instagram, The Bitch Seat. Is it just Bitch Seat or The Bitch Seat? The Bitch Seat. The Bitch Seat or on Twitter at The uh, underscore Bitch underscore Seat. Or, or on Facebook. Tell your friends. I can't hear myself right now, and I'm feeling like I'm in a, a cave. Uh, Veronica, am I one? All right. Hello? No. And, uh, yeah. I hear Phil pretty well. Great. I can hear me much better. You're touching me. I'm not touching you. Vocally, you're touching me. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, guys. um, How you doing? Here's the deal. It's turning autumn everywhere else, but here it's still really hot. Dude, I'm wearing shirts. I'm wearing, like, button-down shirts now. That's great. Yeah, at night it's a little bit cool sometimes. Jacket weather at night. Shirts during the day. But, but I'm feeling a little bit, I'm already having this kind of like uh, guilt about not experiencing like actual cold weather. Um, I do miss that. I miss the, I miss the cold because I miss the, uh, just the waking up in the morning and it's cold and then it's less cold and then it's colder later, you know? Well, that, that will still happen. It's just not going to be to the levels of East Coast. I know, but, but I like it. Yesterday, uh, <laughs> Phil and I ran through our little courtyard, stepping on all of the crunchy leaves because that's really fun. There's so much crunchier out here, guys. But this was, but first of all, there were only like five of them. Yeah. And second of all, this was after a day of quality like, over quantity. Quality crunch. Quality crunch. This was after a day of uh of of both of us like crying. I wasn't crying. You were definitely crying. Well, I mean, I wasn't like... There's no shame in it. You know how I feel about feelings. That's what this whole thing is about. Yeah, but listen, I, I can't I can't go back and visit New York and then everybody be like, are you okay? We're really worried about you. I don't want people to be fucking worried about me. It's a new experience. Of course I'm going to have a difficult time. Don't be worried about me. Everything's okay. God damn it. It's fine, but you have feelings. Yeah. I'm thoroughly unhappy here. Um, You are? Well, I thought that was just me. Well, I'm un- I'm I'm unhappy insofar as I can't do the normal things that I normally do, but also like I'm you know I'm I'm running from my past by being here. I think I'm just going to pause for a moment. Sure. Oh shit! Did I just turn yours all the way up? Yep, I did. You touched him too. I'm so sorry. I thank you. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. <laughs> Are you okay now? Sorry. Are you alright? I was slowly but surely inching up the one of these uh, audio levels. Are you, are you like here? I don't have it. Yeah, that's 
Oh, okay, okay. I'm so sorry. Listeners, this is the magic of um, podcast producing. And um, we can blame it on the filming crew next door. Yeah, there are people filming in our in our space. If, how dare how dare Hey, you know what? We have in our space. That's pretty nice. I mean, it, it's not really our It's space. not really our space at all. But you know, right for the purposes of this, it is our space. I, I'm not. I'm not unhappy. I mean, I'm, I'm unhappy. I mean, the thing is that I, you know, the first few months, the first several months, I was here and I kept checking in and I was like, "How do I feel? How do I feel about this? I'm not really sure. That's weird. I always have opinions, but I don't have an opinion about L.A. And now I definitely have an opinion. And listen, it's a beautiful place. It's not for me. It's is not that, for is me. That, that's your opinion? Yeah, it's a beautiful place, and it is not my energy at all. Uh, yeah. I I think I I it could be my place but it's there's a lot of things that I have I have to do in order to make it that. Why exert the energy? I've already exerted all the energy of moving here. This is getting very dark very quickly and it's my fault. Yeah, but, it is. But it's all your fault. I know. It is. The fact that we're even in this room is my fault. Sorry. No, 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 it is. That's not. No, no, I was I was joking. You're now you're now you're getting sadder about it. Well, Let's let this is the the whole point of the show is not to talk about the present day anyway. It's to go back. That's all we've been doing while we've been in LA. What? All these preambles have been about the present. I know because like I've read a lot of self-help books and all that shit and we're supposed to be living in the present, but the present sucks sometimes. So then how do you get the fuck away from it without only smoking weed? Well, we haven't been in the last few days. It's been pretty nice. Speak for yourself, pretty nice. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've been. <clears throat> it's nice. It's nice to have a novelty of like, oh, oh, I I didn't smoke in the last few days. Oh, let me smoke now, and then actually being stoned. Like that's nice to me because, you know, when you do it every day, it's just like you know you're drinking water or coffee, and there's no value. It's just something you have to do, or else. <laughs> Speaking of coffee, we haven't had any yet today. We're recording this. Can you tell? <laughs> Can you t- oh, our guest is offering. Is that coffee or tea? There's nothing left in there. <laughs> you need those last few sips of backwash. Are, yeah, that's like that's the goodbye sips. Shad, shad. Shad, shad coffee. Okay, listen, let's get to this shit. Please. Okay, so we're going to go way, way the fuck back to 1993, uh, which... Uh, in <laughs> composition book from fifth grade which was a banner year for me oh yeah i'm gonna read a short story um that's gonna maybe explain a lot but um before that phil what was happening in um october 1993 the summer was governed by the song i can't help falling in love with you by ub40 (laughs) which was in the movie sliver starring uh william baldwin and sharon stone Little Phil watched that on Cinemax a few times. Skinemax. Uh, yes, that was a very Skinemaxy movie that got a wide release. I think they realized they learned from that mistake. Uh, Dream Lover by Mariah Carey quickly usurped it, and in October, Dream Lover was usurped by Meatloaf's "I Would Do Anything for Love." Is that not from the eighties? Oh no, no, Bad Out of Hell's from the eighties. This is this is like his early nineties output. And he also had other songs in the 90s that were like 5 a.m. MTV music videos. Like uh, the other one he did was, I would do anything for love. I'll do anything you want me to. That was the other song. (laughs) 
It was like he finally agreed. He like, sent fine, some mixed fine. messages to his really? stalked ladies. And uh, October movies, the uh, the summer had featured. Uh, it was very interesting. It was the last Psycho movie came out. My boyfriend's back. Uh, one of the best, uh, most rewatchable Harrison Ford movies, uh, The Fugitive. And um, really, the, the guy really leans into uh, being a, a, a dirty hobo trying to clear his name in that movie. It's great. Um, but October had Cool Runnings. Uh, oh, right? that was so important to me. I loved Cool Runnings. Uh, Demolition Man. All right, that's just for me. That's fine. That's fine. That's just for me. And The Nightmare Before Christmas. Which, oh, shit. Yeah, and the remake of The Beverly Hillbillies, which also not a bad... It was, a, it was, a, it was the time. Everybody was doing those remakes just, of old TV shows. But overall, sounds like 1993 was a pretty strong, like important yeah. cultural year. I think it was an, a, a strong and important cultural year as all uh, multiples of three are in a decade. I always find that there's always... Yeah, like 1996, that was like when I would say tens of millions more homes got the internet. And 1999, you know, everybody was disappointed in mass by Star Wars. I think like there's cultural touchstones that I've been a part of. <laughs> Getting the internet. Life isn't being... entirely meaningless. And no, no, it's about, you know. Just mostly. Mostly. Read your story. Okay, great. So. <laughs> This is from a composition notebook that I that I used in fifth grade that I probably turned in. Um, there appear to be a couple of um, edit marks in green pen, but it looks like those are actually in my penmanship. <laughs> so uh, this is uh, the the character named Eleanor because I'm apparently obsessed with that name. I wrote a lot of stories about this character, Eleanor. It was probably a proxy for myself. So here we go. Eleanor's mother called her into the family room. Eleanor, your father and I have decided to take a trip. We're going to stay at a rented house up in the mountains. You are to stay here. A babysitter will come to stay with you. Okay, Eleanor said in an almost silent voice. She had never seen her own father. He was always away, at a place where he could have privacy when he was writing. He was an author. We're leaving tomorrow, her mother finished. Now, Eleanor might have been six and a half years old, but she was a very smart child. That night, she thought up a dreadful scheme. In the morning, when her parents were all packed and the trunk of, of the car was locked, Eleanor sneaked into the garage with two bags of flour with holes in them and some thick string. She tied the bags to the back underside of the car. Then she ran inside. A few minutes later, she heard her mom calling. Eleanor, I'm leaving. Be good. Eleanor waited all day, and the babysitter came to stay with Eleanor. When night fell, Eleanor took out her red satchel, and in it she put a bag of cookies, two sandwiches, a canteen of cold water, and an umbrella, just in case. She threw on her black cloak and rode off on her bicycle into the night. Bicycle, by the way, is spelled with two Ys. She was on the road the whole night, following the path of flour, stopping every once in a while to eat a cookie. She finally got to the end of the trail early in the morning. It was thinning, but Eleanor used the last little particles of flour to get to her parents' car. It was parked in front of a two-floor house. The house was long and white with black shutters on the windows and a black door. Eleanor went around to the back. There was a wooden deck. She tiptoed up the steps. Trying the screen door, she found it unlocked. It was squeaky, so after, after inside, she was careful how she closed it. She looked around. She was apparently standing in a living room. There was a pastel-colored sofa and an armchair to match. Across from the sofa on the other side of the room, there was a television. 
On the small, shiny wooden table, there was a telephone. She noticed she was standing on an incredibly soft beige carpet. <laughs> the details here are so stupid. <laughs> there was a fireplace with coats that were still, I'm sorry, with coals that were still glowing from the night before. She walked into the next room, the kitchen. A refrigerator, a stove, a sink, and a counter space against one wall. In the middle, there was a table with four chairs. Eleanor explored the cozy house. She found one door not wide open, but open just a crack. It must be my parents' room, she thought to herself. Wandering around some more, she discovered a closed door. It was locked. She searched for a paperclip. When she found one in the study, she unbent it and shoved it into the keyhole. Twisting and turning it for what seemed like hours, she finally got the door open. There was a flight of stairs. She carefully walked up. When she got to the top, she was surprised to come to a wooden desk. There was a spinning chair behind it. On the desk, there was a pencil can Eleanor faintly remembered making. In it were red, blue, and black pens and some number two pencils. There were a lot of papers and some paperweights. Eleanor opened a drawer. I'm sorry, a draw. In it, there was a in it were a stapler, paper clips, tape, and some loose change. There was a bathroom attached to the office. It was yellow. A shower with clear glass doors, yellow tile, and a yellow sink installed into a yellow counter. Under the counter, there were cabinets big enough for Eleanor to fit into. On the counter, there was a clear glass soap dish with yellow soap. All of a sudden, she heard someone coming up the steps. My father, she thought. She ran into the bathroom, slipped on the tile, and bumped her head. It was throbbing, but this was no time to sit and cry. She opened the cabinet, got in, and shut the door. It was dark inside. She stayed there for a long time. Then she got an idea. This was her chance. She could see her father. And she did just that. She slowly opened the door. Right when she was about to get out, she heard her father get up and start walking to the bathroom, and her heart started beating faster. For a second, she didn't know what to do. She immediately climbed back into the cabinet and shut the door. She felt her face get very hot. What a relief. After a few minutes, she tried again. This time, it worked. She crept out of the cabinet and sneaked to the bathroom door. She looked out. Her father had dark brown hair and brown eyes. He didn't have a mustache or a beard. <laughs> then Eleanor came up with a problem. She didn't want to stay up in the bathroom all day, so all of a sudden, for a minute not knowing what she was doing, she dashed through the office and through the luckily open door down the stairs and into a bedroom. There, knowing her parents probably wouldn't go into that room, she made herself cozy in a corner of the carpeted room, took out a sandwich and her canteen, and had her lunch. <laughs> I, I'm almost done, I promise. So this whole time she has her lunch with her. <laughs> okay. Later that night, Eleanor sneaked up to her parents' closed bedroom door and eavesdropped. Really, Bill, she heard her mother say. I don't think you should be away all the time. Your own daughter has never even seen you, and I think it's about time she <laughs> met you. <laughs> well, I'll consider it, he replied. <laughs> Maybe we should get packed and leave tomorrow. Eleanor probably misses me. As soon as Eleanor heard that, she raced back to her room, shoved a cookie into her mouth, packed up her belongings, went out the back door, hopped onto her bike, and followed the trail of flour back home. The next day at noon, Eleanor saw her mother coming up the steps. Mommy, she shrieked and ran into her mother's arms. Eleanor, she said, I want you to meet someone. <laughs> Eleanor put on a solemn face when she saw who was coming. Eleanor, the man said. Daddy, she whispered, pretending to be in awe. Can I have a hug, he asked. Eleanor hugged her father for the first time. So, sweetie, did you miss us? What did you do when we were gone? asked Mommy. Oh, I just sat around, she said with a sly grin. The end. And there's like a balloon and a smiley face. 
just a bunch of shit. What an asshole. This guy hasn't seen his daughter in years. Ever. Ever. Literally ever. Literally. Wait, that, that, but yes, I know. It's beyond comprehension for me because people, I don't, That that's just a sad reality you've concocted. There's a, there's a depressing reality. Yeah, it's weird because when I, when I I remember writing it and I remember specifically like all the details about that yellow bathroom and I just was really more into like writing detailed descriptions of places than I was an actually plot which is still how I roll and that's why I'm a comic and not you know a novelist but um (laughs) how fucking sad is that dude it's very sad I mean did you your father was around. He was present. You have a my pretty strong relationship. My dad is like my best friend. Yeah, I would say that's an understatement on my part. Yeah, but you guys like, what was the, the was the impetus to uh, detail a bathroom, or or in a living room, uh, or was it uh, you're trying? I to... probably was trying to write descriptive something because again, a teacher saw this. There were no notes in here as to like. Lissa, do you talk to your father like in red writing? Um, can I have a conference with you two to see no, see you in the same room? It's so weird. Anyway, anyway. It, anyway, it plays. It, it, anyway, it's cool. I like it. Good, good story. I, I give it a give it a B solid minus. A minus. <laughs> okay, listen. Our guest has been sitting here, he, and he's like, "What the fuck did I get myself into?" I've just been listening to this whole thing. And bef- okay. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. So um, our guest is a comic that um, we've read, met recently at um, a mic that we enjoy here at the Smog Cutter Thursdays at 7. Um, <laughs> it's a good mic. Don't blow it up. And uh, he is fucking hilarious. Um, uh, his Twitter feed is the best. And he's been at a bunch of comedy festivals, Bridgetown and Hell Yes Fest and um, all kinds of shit all over the place. But mostly he's just hilarious. I don't even care if he had no credits at all. His name is M.K. Paulson. Okay. When we see M.K., he's sauntering. Okay, M.K. doesn't walk. He saunters. So 17-year-old M.K. is sauntering through um, a dusty uh, Old West town. All right? He's got a yo-yo. He's wearing a straw hat. And, like uh, a poncho, like a bright poncho of some sort. A bright poncho. He's he's carrying his books, you know, um, but uh, he doesn't wear a backpack because that's only for pussies. And uh, yes, I'm no, I'm just trying to understand the rationale. He's in a dusty western town. Yeah, but he's go. He's still going to school. There are dusty western. There are schools. Like it's a cowboy village. It's a cowboy village, and he's heading to high school he's, in his cowboy village. Okay. And the With sauntering a... slows down to slow mo. The yo-yo slows down to slow-mo. And then, like, the sun catches the yo-yo, and it, like, it blinds a dude working on a horse, a horseshoe. And he, he looks, he turns, and, like, the sun catches it, and he's like, what? And then, like, you know, he's in the silhouette with his hat and poncho and stuff. And then he opens the um, saloon doors to the school. Yeah, <laughs> and asks for a whiskey on the way in, because it's Western Village Town. No, There's no drinking age. You can drink anytime. It's true. Welcome to the show. Hi, MK. Welcome to our Good show. Good to be here. I want to go to that place. I know. Pretty cool high school. Is that what your high school was like? It wasn't too far. <laughs> I'm from a little town in Texas, so it's not... I didn't wear a poncho. I feel like that would be... Yeah, that was embellishment. I mean... A little too much uh, appropriation oh. there. <laughs> well, I mean, it was like uh, Clint Eastwood, but... I'm going to wear this poncho, but also have a yo-yo. I'm a really... Yeah, that's the best part. Do whatever the fuck you want. Did y'all do the things with yo-yos when you were a kid? 
kid? Yes. Like they came to school and like taught you how to yo yo. No, and then, I never like, convinced learned you how. to buy a yo yo. What? They never came you to yo yo salesman? Yeah, we literally wow. had like a yo yo, and there was like two weeks in middle school where everybody just had yo yos, and I'm honestly still pretty good at the yo yo. Not gonna brag. Really? I can do like walk the dog. I can do the thing. I can do. The... I can do the walk the dog. I I always fucked up with the with the thing. Mm-hmm. This thing here. That's hard. That one's hard. What's I'm... it called? I don't even know. I've... The cradle? No. Yeah, maybe. Something like that. I never learned how to yo-yo. I just thought they looked cool, especially the light-up ones. Because there was yeah. like a time when Duncan was like, yeah, it was really here. pushing but also, the commercials. Yomega. Yomega. It was like the one that the brain it had the. Oh right. And it had a because it could had like a little motor inside, so you could hold it for longer. It was more of like a, a it was like a made for tricks. Yeah, and there was the one that you could like drop and it would like stick. Yeah, that's the one. That's the yeah, one. Yeah, that was good. That was. Mm, I can still feel it. I still feel it in yeah, my like hands. Just how it the, feels. The it's very, very connected to that yo-yo. Still, <laughs> somebody should do a yo-yo act. No, nobody should actually do that. But in it's my head be right you. now, well, next time just bring one. Then when you're going through all of your dick jokes, yeah, just, break out the yo-yo. Just, see what happens. Just yeah. How can we do a dick joke yo-yo joke? That'd be great. You know, I, I mean, feel like they're pretty closely related. Not, they're not too dissimilar <laughs> for sure. Um. So small town in Texas. Yeah. How small a town? Where in Texas? Uh. Well, so I grew. I went to like grew up in this little town called Mineral Wells. It's out west of Fort Worth, like an hour and a half. And it was like growing up. I think it was about fifteen thousand people, sixteen thousand mm-hmm. people, or something like that. So it's not like tiny, tiny, tiny. But uh, my graduating class, I think, was like what? I don't even know. Was it like one eighty or one sixty? Yeah, or pretty something small. Like that? Sounds about right. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the smallest school in the world. Like there are schools outside of my hometown that are like we had a graduating class of ten, you know, kind of. Yeah. But then, so my whole family is like from a town farther west towards Abilene, uh, outside of a little town called Cisco, which was super tiny. And I spent a lot of time growing up there, and that's where my grandparents lived. Cool. Mm-hmm. And did you did you first of all only child? Or I have an older brother that's six years older than me. Oh, so he was pretty distant. Yeah, he was pretty distant. And he was, like, farther in school. I was held back a year in school. Baby was a little dumb-dumb. What? I can't believe that. (laughs) You're so fucking smart. I have a master's degree. Uh, (laughs) No, it was more like, I was that weird, my birthday's in the middle of the summer, so, like, July 12th. So it was like, I could have kind of been the oldest the youngest boy in the class or the, or the oldest. oldest boy in the class. And my parents were like, eh, let's just like have him repeat a year. So he's the oldest. Which so. year did you have to repeat? I like, I mean, it was literally like pre-K. Oh, okay. I, I redid so it. You didn't so I just did like two years of like before starting kindergarten yeah. or something. My best friend did that. And then I went to a private kindergarten, not bragging, but I did. Nice. <laughs> Why? I don't know. <laughs> I literally have no idea. I think it was the only... I don't I think I think that may have been even before like people were like yeah everybody needs to go to kindergarten. And they just like sent me to a kindergarten. Oh. Is that a thing? Like I, a standalone kindergarten? Yeah, school? it was in a church, but it wasn't like an overly churchy kindergarten. I don't know why my parents picked this particular kindergarten for me to go to. It was oh. in a Methodist church in my hometown. Were were your parents religious? Were you raised? Yeah, but they weren't Methodist. They were Lutheran, which was a completely different church. But I mean, Isn't it's Lutheran not like... Lutheran the Sunday school of Christianity? Probably. I mean, it depends. There's different like branches of the church that some are more conservative and some yeah, and, yeah. like over the top and some are more, much more liberal. So, yeah. Well, um, and... 
so you went to private kindergarten, but then you went to I don't public know why I'm regular school. About that. It's literally yeah, and then just immediately went into like first grade with all the other you know Hoi peasants, <laughs> miscreants. Uh. That's what I was like on the streets. You know, I'd had <laughs> the private school days, and then I'm like, no, it's all. It's a very small town. Like none of it. Everybody was you know middle class average yeah i wouldn't say white there were a lot of, it was a pretty like like racially diverse community especially like there's awesome. a large hispanic community but i don't think there were many african-american folks but there were some but yeah and for the most part did you feel like you identify like do you identify as a texan like through and yeah through? yeah pretty much i mean yeah just yeah <laughs> <laughs> my family is a so my family kind of is these, there's a big like German kind of like group of immigrants that came to Texas. And so outside of Austin, there's just like, there's towns called like New Braunfels and mm -hmm. uh, there's a big like German population and my family, they, they were kind of farther West than that. But like, yeah, my family was like all, I'm basically a full blooded German American mm -hmm. at this point. All four of my grandparents spoke German as their first language. Oh shit. Which is crazy, but they were all born in America. So they weren't Nazis. They weren't Nazis. And they all immigrated before the war. But it's a very strange story. Like, my family's just had me very, like, my parents didn't have me until they were, like, 37. Oh, wow. Like, my mother's, my mother's mom and dad didn't have her until they were 40, which is very strange. And she, mm -hmm. so my mom was born in, like, 47. And then my grandma wasn't, she was, like, my great-grandfather's, like, fifth child and, like, had her when he was 50 Holy or something. Shit. So I have, a great like, a, a German great-grandfather that literally immigrated in, like, 1880. Wow. And Germany yeah. wasn't even a thing then. It was Bismarck. Yeah, it was, so it was, yeah, it was, like, they were from, I guess he was from, um what's it? It's, like, Schleswig-Holstein, which is, like, the, the, the province that borders Denmark. Yes. Or he might have been more from Bavaria. I don't remember. Anyway, they're all Germans, and they're all from some. But, yeah, it wasn't necessarily at the time. It wasn't necessarily. Yeah, it was Prussia or something Prussia. like that. Prussia. Bismarck was the guy that, that did that. He also wrote the song, uh, You Say He's Just a Country mm -hmm. uh, Friend. Just a friend, not a country. I was trying to. Bismarcky? Yeah, Bismarcky. <laughs> okay. God damn it. <laughs> you're like looking down. Um, I'm looking at how you're about to break this wire. I am I am not going to break this wire. I'm just stuffing it in and out. I'm also playing with this wire. You can't see it, but I worry about breaking it. Okay, I need to bring some fidget spinners into the studio. Oh, Duly that'd be great. I'd probably be like, pick up on the sound, though. That might be weird. What Who it? cares? That's true. Yeah, you know why not? I think even better. There's. Have you seen those like cubes? I think those yes. are I love even the better. Yes, the I like them a lot better. Fidget spinners. They also make a lot more sounds than fidget spinners. Do they? The cubes. Yeah, because it's like. It's like all that. Sorry, was, that was my audio I'm example. Sorry, can I hear that again? <laughs> <laughs> but fidget spinners are done, right? Like we're kind of over them. Like. Well, here's the thing. Fidget spinners, I think, are meant for children. But. <laughs> but but they they, they, they they exploded outward further than they that. They sell them at the fucking dispensary we buy from. They sell them at the metaphysical bookstore where I went the that's, other day. That's unacceptable. <laughs> that is unacceptable. You guys should know better. Not you, but like the metaphysical bookstore. I'm, I'm calling them out. Get rid of you your No, I was serving tables the other day, and this woman comes in with her two small children, and they brought fidget spinners that have these like crazy like laser lights Ooh. on them, like raver fidget spinners, into the <laughs> restaurant. And I was like, how is that appropriate that in any public place? Huge in the ra in the raves. In the I'm 90s. sure they're doing it. I'm sure they're doing it now. I'm sure they're doing it now. 
I wish I were doing it now. Yeah. <laughs> I've had too much cold blue. All, all, all I've had <laughs> cold blue. Cold, all I've had to eat today are jelly beans and cold blue. So, baby is it's on. Hyper. It's on. Yeah. Um, well, let's uh, let's haul out this uh, artifact yeah, that well, you brought to show. So, yeah. so I have to caveat this with I yes. like don't own much stuff here. That's I'm very fine. much a minimalist in that I'm are. poor and can't afford things. And like when I moved everything yeah. from the storage unit back at home, so make it a parents. statement. Make it, and then mm-hmm. you'll seem deep. Well, yeah. first of all, being a minimalist is hot right now. But second of all. Uh, I feel like a lot of people in LA don't have anything with them because they ran the fuck away yeah. from their home to come here. Yeah. Okay. This so, is a picture. Well, so this is the farm that my I said my grandparents were from a little farm. Farther. Oh my god! It's a photograph. It's a photo. It's an aerial photograph of my family farm. So this house I said that was a. So the, uh, I guess I should ex- explain this a little bit. There's a picture. It's like. It looks. It was done by a little flyover, like some little airplane kind of flew over the farm, and you can see the farmhouse, and then all these old kind of like there's a carriage house, and there's these old barns and storage things, and so uh, it's very dusty. My grandma was horrified when they took this picture because they said it made us look so poor, which they were, but <laughs> they weren't. Really, but uh, there's like I think it was done in August in Texas when everything's just dead and dry. So the only green stuff are the like uh, the post oak trees in it, and yeah, that's and this picture. But it doesn't look too dis- too far from your uh, dusty town. The dust bowl yeah. situation that I was envisioning. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. I don't know that we wore ponchos, but <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sometimes in the desert at night it gets yeah. cold. Yeah, I don't know, you know, you could always also I'm wear not a saying jacket. you're appropriating Mexican culture. <laughs> no, I'm no, saying no. it's was, available there <laughs> to use for your. To I was your your, I mean, in the Southwest. It was common for everyone. Yeah. yeah. Fair. I have a poncho, and I'm from New York. But so. you also went to Burning Man. It's <laughs> true. I'm allowed to have as many ponchos as I want. As I want you. Yeah, but so this is one of the few things I still, uh, it's on my wall. It's not like a happy picture, but it just reminds me of where I came from. So that's, that's why great, I kind of keep it around. It's a great reminder. It's a nice frame, nice picture. Yeah. Early Google Maps like era of just taking pictures I mean, of things. It's so gross. <laughs> I live it like my little, that. like, I know. I just want to, I want to, we blow on it and there's just this sheath of dust that comes off of it. So is does any of this look remotely like what it did? So this house is still there. It's like falling apart. So my grandparents lived in this house until like this was taken in 1988. Uh-huh. This picture, I think it's it says it on the back. Yeah. April 24th, 1988. So I would have been 4 years old when this was taken because I was born in 84. Uh, but the house is still there. Does Somebody's anyone build- still live in it? No, nobody lives in it anymore. Not since like the late 90s when my grandparents had to go into a nursing home. But this house is the oldest part dates back to the 1880s. Wow. Wow. And this porch is, this is, uh, is like from 1907. So. Holy shit. Yeah. And you have memories of, of like going to this house and yeah, like yeah, hanging yeah. out I on that porch? I was thinking about and... it last night kind of when I was thinking about this podcast. Like, I mean, Christmases were spent in this old house. Mm-hmm. Uh, our Easter's in this yard running around looking for Easter eggs. I can remember that. I mean. And I still go back there. Like it's about three and a half hours outside of Austin. So when I was living in Austin, I'd go out there. It was kind of my like Zen meta place that I would go often by myself <laughs> and just like do work and clear brush like an insane person. No, that's amazing. It's yeah. very thorough. It's very thorough. And I mean, my dream is to one day to have <laughs> to be successful enough that I could have a weekend home out there at some point. You can make a comedy commune out there. Yeah, I could. Yeah. And it's so in the middle of Texas. The thing that's hard about this is like. 
these small conservative towns, like I just politically and like just do not identify with them at all anymore. Like it, it, they're so conservative. They're so religious and like. So, but did you, did you, was there a point when you did identify with that? Put it in the chair like it's a fork. It is. It shall loom over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Did you, so like that kind of, when I asked like whether you really identified as a Texan, like I'm interested in like how much of Texas culture, politics, economy, everything like was a part of you when you were younger and how you've seen it sort of shift. Yeah. As you've gotten older. I mean, the thing is, is like, I think generally like, like nationwide, you know, I don't think in 1988 people identified themselves as like Democrat or Republican. I think they like kind of, I think that's become a new identity that we've taken on and, and like with the kind of more infusion of identity politics into mm-hmm. our national politics. 100%. You know, back then I was like, they were poor farmers. I think like, I know they voted for Jimmy Carter because he was a peanut farmer mm-hmm. and like, uh, my grandparents did, but then I think generally they voted Republican. I know they all voted for Bush. Anyway, I don't like. It's it's definitely changed. If if you were to watch the debates between Reagan and Bush mm-hmm. over immigrants, they were both pro immigration. It was just the policy of how to keep them here, right? right and it right. wasn't about good jobs or like right. or anything or. You're right. And it it's just gotten more and more extreme. Well, because there's the people when people rely on the identity politics, it becomes more progressive, becomes more mm-hmm. conservative, and then everyone's just angry because and the 24 hour news cycle and social media that's just constantly inundating us. And like, I mean, I believe I'm very much a liberal, like liberal person, and believe in like you know left wing politics. But I, I will say like both sides want both sides, especially like in presidential elections, want us to get our whole self like wrapped up in these candidates and Mm -hmm. these policies and like you know when you like something like abortion like you can't you can't you can't compromise on anything like that ever Mm -hmm. you know and like i don't i i i mean i'm 100 percent pro-choice but i don't know that like nobody coming to the table on anything is a good strategy anymore oh agreed but people just don't talk people don't interact and talk anymore about it at all they just no, have their just opinion get, and it can't be yeah. changed but the even end. then if you try and talk people just get angry and they don't want to talk no they don't really want to engage because they don't want to consider for a second that they might be wrong because if they're wrong who are they right right, right. it's so wrapped up it's so wrapped up in self now that you can't pull yourself away and look at things yeah and i do think like so and i think the 24-hour news cycle has really changed american politics mm-hmm. and like fox news i mean I know CNN and MSNBC are are similar, but I I guess I identify with their politics a lot more. But it's just like this, since like news sensation, like the idea of news sensation, we have to create news to keep people watching. I think isn't great, and gerrymandering is a big problem. Oh yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. so the caveat to all this is I worked in politics for six years. So. Yeah. So I I mean I and this kind of gets off topic because you were obviously already a grown up when that happened. Yeah. Um. You know but, a friend of ours. Yes. Well, who? Oh, Jay, Jay Malski. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. From also politics. Yeah, when I worked in D.C. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we were DC buddies. Which makes so much fucking sense to me. Yeah. Knowing both of you, um, when but like, 
did you think that you were going into politics when you were younger? Like when, when like when you were propelled out of Texas no, toward DC? I don't know. You know, so so okay. So I guess the like story of my childhood. I was a very good child. I've <laughs> very nice boy. Uh, <laughs> kind of a little fat boy. Uh, and <laughs> Augustus Gloop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I followed the rules. I was, a, and then um, yeah, I wanted to go to West Point when I oh, was she like, did. yeah, and I. What? I wanted to go to West Point when I was like ten, but then I realized you would have lasted require- a day. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to go to one of the military academies, and even like up to the point I was sixteen, I started my junior year in high school, and so I started my junior year in two thousand one, mm-hmm. and was I think like fourth in my class or third in my class or something, and I mean it was like kind of it was like oh I want to go to one of the military academies. I was on the path for that, and then like September eleventh happened. Mm-hmm. This is my September eleventh story, yes, which yes. is I feel like sometimes I make too much into an origin story but it really did i was like 17 years old at this point seven was i 17 yeah i was 17 already and i like september 11th happened and i just realized i don't know if it was 17 year old hormones what you know like i hadn't come at, like started realizing i'm gay and then just was on the church softball team it was a couple <laughs> days after september 11th and i remember being on the church softball team and i'm like what am i doing like <laughs> life is too short yeah. so like all the like all these people would, and i was like no this isn't what i'm gonna do and just had a complete breakdown wow. just like had a complete emotional breakdown stopped going to school like was skipping had to be put on homebound was on depression medicine went to see a therapist twice a week my parents were super worried about me and uh did they were they waiting for you to come out of the closet I mean, no, they still like, we're, they're still not great about it. They're small town Texan people. They Got like kind of don't, I mean, I've told them I'm gay, but like we generally like just don't talk about it, mm-hmm. which isn't a good, and I like, this is a whole nother podcast. <laughs> so have me back. No. <laughs> I mean, we should, because we talked for the first half hour anyway. Seriously, we really made it a thing. <laughs> Anyway, back to me. Um. <laughs> no, but that's that. I am obsessed with epiphany moments, catharsis yeah. moments. Like that is amazing. So you have this moment in church softball, and yeah. you're like, "Fuck!" Literally, this. like literally, like the the yeah the were pastor you going to, going to bat. Like, were you like? I was in the outfield, and I'm like, "What am I doing? Like, I don't." I don't want to be here. Place. This isn't what I want. Like, <laughs> like this, yeah. these people would never accept me if they really knew who I was. And I'm like, why am I trying? It was, yeah, it was a crazy kind of epiphany moment. I think, you know, I do think it was like 17 year old angst for sure. But then I think like there was something about September 11th that was like, it, it really made me think about life in a way. Mm-hmm. And I like, and a few days later, I'm like, no, this isn't working for me. This isn't what I want to do. This isn't who I want to be. It's a weird. Well, it was a weird day. People, people died going to work. Yeah, it was like where I lived, the smoke clouds were hanging over our heads. Yeah, like it was a very. There was a real clear break between the world before and the world now, uh, with that moment. Mm -hmm. And so, it it makes perfect sense if you were. What did you want to do at that time? You wanted to go to West Point, but you you just wanted to serve. Is that? You know, I think I. I think at the time I just, you know, I've all, even today, I feel like I do better in structure and I, and I like, you know, if somebody in like in a, in a, in a rigid system where I, people told me what to do, I think, but then, you know, when you kind of become an adult and you realize, oh, I have like 
I like other things besides this. Or like, mm-hmm. So I was literally like skipping school. This is such a dorky thing. I was literally skipping school to go hang out at public museums in like Fort Worth, Texas. That's and just amazing. hanging out at museums by myself. That's, ama- very, that's amazing. Yeah. I was going to museums. I would go to like, you know, uh, it was crazy. Like I would skip school to go hang out at the library. <laughs> just mm-hmm. be by myself mm-hmm. and read books and, and learn like shit about the world because outside I also of the felt school. like I was much smarter than my teachers I mean there was mm-hmm. that angstiness of being 17 mm-hmm. year old and like in a small town and you like, probably were yeah. in a lot of ways and I remember even like I was in this pre-cal class that was actually when the plane hit the towers uh was I was in like it was I was in first period it was pre-calculus and my teacher Mr. Seibert he was just this old curmudgeon and I was skipping his class so much, but I would like pop in and like take tests or <laughs> literally like I would go to school like one or two days a week wow. and like, but I was still like doing all my homework and stuff and I was basically treating it like it was college when I was still 17 years yeah. old, but I ended up like getting the highest grade on a test and he was convinced that I could not have done that. So he failed me. What? Fuck him. Yeah. And that was like, and I, to this day, I think like that semester I got, I mean, we were doing matrices and I remember Mm -hmm. he was like, matrices are incredibly difficult. And I like got the highest grade in the class. Having not gone to school. Having not gone to school. And then he was just like, you had to have cheated or you couldn't have done it. And so he like failed me. Oh, that is such bullshit. He gave me a zero on that. And then it ended up like uh, on one particular test, he gave me like a zero that he assumed that I had cheated on. And then I ended up for that semester, I think getting like a 67 in pre-cal. Cause it averaged out to that. Yeah. It averaged out to that. I mean, and I probably missed a bunch of like homework stuff, but I think he was doing it to prove a point that like you can't you can't act this way. But then, so crazy enough, a few months ago, I was back in Mineral Wells and I saw him at the Dairy Queen. Oh, Mr. Cyber. Mr. Cyber, and he's like, "What are he's like What are you up to?" And I was like, "I have a master's." <laughs> <laughs> you should just walk around with it yeah. like photocopied onto your shirt. Yeah, all exactly. the time. So, so the, then the story was. I don't know if you guys want to hear the story. We but do. Then oh, I, we like, do. We so do. after I finished. Uh, so I was basically like skipping school and I was put on homebound. You know what homebound what no. is? It's like you yeah. basically like do work from home or like you work like it's for Home kids school? that are too sco- sick to go to school and like the stick. Gotcha. But like, I was just too sad to go to school. And yeah. I, was just, I mean, like my pastimes at this point were driving around like we had this base, this old abandoned base in Mineral Wells uh-huh. from like the Vietnam War called Fort Walters. I just drive around the base and smoke cigarettes and just like listen to Lincoln Park on full blast. <laughs> just this Park. fucking angsty kid going to museums and reading books and being alone. <laughs> just yeah, but like... the beautiful thing, like, I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to on this show and otherwise who have had that exact experience at mm-hmm. some point in their high school when they finally realize that they are not their parents and they are not this life that they thought they were the whole time. I mean, that was me with Radiohead driving around in the farm towns in Southern Connecticut for hours, not knowing like, like, cause you're stuck there. You can't get out yet. Um, but you certainly are not going to be like where you're supposed to be. And that's such a universal story. So when you finally get out, cause you got out, you got out of that sad. Well, so I mean, so yeah, so I was like, yeah, I did, but I was seeing a therapist and like, I did have like obsessive compulsive, like, like, I mean, I wanted like, even just like the West Point thing and like, just like that structure and having to be the best, mm-hmm. it, it became mm-hmm. overwhelming to me. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah, you talk about like 
not re- realizing you're not your parents, but I was still living in this like, I'm like the perfect son and that's what, you know, but I, when I realized like I couldn't do that, that's when shit started hitting the fan and that's like, so I was still struggling with that and like the first person I ever told I was gay was a therapist, which wow. I think I actually told her I was uh, bisexual. <laughs> Yeah, well, the gateway. Yeah, the, you know. the, gate, yeah. the gateway. The gateway. Sexuality. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But so I like finally got to a point my junior year, and I told my parents, I was like, "Listen, I just this is this this isn't the place for me. Like, I'm not doing well here. I want to go be a foreign exchange student to Spain." <laughs> what? Yeah. And my parents were like, "There's no way." And finally, I was like, "I'm not going back to school until you tell me I can leave next year to go like be a foreign exchange student." And finally, they were like, "If you, if you get good grades, if you go back to school and you get good grades and you take care of all this stuff, we'll let you go." And I immediately just like started going back to school, was so excited, uh, finished my junior year. Uh, I passed all my classes except pre-cal, which I mean, that had been from the first semester, yeah. but like I did, I mean, I had, didn't have great grades. I think I dropped like to like somewhere in the 25th percentile of my class or something. But uh, yeah, then immediately after finishing my junior year, went to like these Spanish camps in Minnesota and was just such a nerd and like went to these Spanish immersion camps that I was like obsessed with and had gone to when I was younger, I'd gone to German camps, very big nerdy kid, very nerdy, nerdy. Listen, boy. you're talking to the nerdest of nerds. <laughs> I was valedictorian of my high school. Oh, were you? Yeah. Oh, that's so great. All this shit Congrats. you're talking about. I know I, uh, most of my senior year I spent in the guidance counselor's office on our couch, like mm-hmm. skipping classes because yeah. I was just too over it. But yes. Yeah. There is something you realize you're from a small town. Yeah. There is something I think about like when you are a creative or a highly intelligent person and you come from these small towns and you start realizing that like, Oh, they're sharing a set of ideas that are not the most informed mm-hmm. or not the, And you really start questioning everything mm-hmm. and it makes you feel like you're different instead of you realizing like, Oh no, that's not this. This isn't, yeah. this yeah. isn't the best way. To Usu- be. Well, usually, so usually I'm reading from a diary from like seventh mm-hmm, or eighth mm-hmm. grade and all of, as Phil will attest, cause he's heard all of them. All of my diaries are all about, how different I am, how I'm deeper than everybody else, how I'm thinking more than everybody else, yeah. how I can't wait to get to New York, how this town is a piece of shit. Like, I just, I, like, I was like a bat out of hell yeah. as soon as I could. Um, but I, I held it together until I could get to college. And then I had a meltdown freshman year. But yeah. yes, uh, super recognizable. And then it's like, you can't, you're trapped. You're having all of these thoughts, but no way to express them, no mm. people to whom you can express them. Right. Um, so you go to Spanish camp. <laughs> which I fucking love. That's so Spanish random. Camp. Like what? Cause I mean, we, and we can talk about this offline too, off air, but like I had a whole, I have a really cr- close relationship with Spain as oh, well. Oh, Really? And when I had my breakdown freshman year of college or sophomore year, rather when I went through this terrible breakup and I dropped out of class and I started seeing a therapist and blah, blah, blah. I was in a Hemingway and Fitzgerald class mm. at the time. And I said to my parents, I have to go to Spain. Wow. And they were like, what? That's so fucking random. And I went one summer and I, w- I just, I don't know. There's yeah. something about Spain that feels like. I have like a seven part comment on all of this. <laughs> so uh, I need to know more. What First of all, right now, as we speak, I'm not like as we speak, but in these moments, I'm reading Night Train to Lisbon. I haven't read it. Oh, my God. Pascal Mercier. It's so great. Okay. <laughs> it's like, an old. I mean, it's from what? 2000. 
1984, I think it was originally published in German, but it's like, it's essentially the story of this guy. He's like a classics teacher in, in Switzerland and just like, he's like, literally one day he's done this for 20 years. He's taught Latin and Greek and just like gets on a train and goes to Lisbon without telling anybody and just has this like complete transformation. It's really a beautiful book. And it's like, I'm only like halfway through it, but it's really compelling. You should read it. it, Especially if you're into uh, that. I mean, Lisbon's Portugal, but um, (laughs) also you should do like, you should go on the Camino de Santiago and do, live oh sessions God. of bitch scene. that would they be so amazing I, I still think i'm like maybe i'm just gonna leave and go walk the camino for a while Phil, do you know about the camino it's this like pilgrimage route in spain and <laughs> yeah yeah i know i know <laughs> it, i mean it, it does it has like christian roots but i don't know too yeah. much about it but it's like a long 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 ass pilgrimage walk and like people yeah. from all over the world it starts in too. southern france even and it goes all the way across the iberian peninsula to the very north West tip in Santiago de Compostela Mm -hmm. and it's there's a cathedral there and I can't is it they have something supposedly there's an art I can't remember what it is off the top of my head but there's an uh, anyway this there's an artifact that historically yeah the Christians would do this they would do this um pilgrimage to there yeah there's this path and so it's kind of become this thing but it's now like even backpackers just do it and you can do it in like two or three months it's essentially it's like, similar to the Appalachian Trail oh yeah I was just gotcha. gonna say so it's just like a thi- like a, w- a long walk that people do but yeah what if I did that with do you think that like recording uh, equipment equipment safe would in make a, it in a foreign land where that's probably not what, well I mean, like you're sleeping outside for several months and all this shit yeah 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 what if I interview people? Well, you, and there's that? hostels and stuff. I mean, that would be really a fascinating podcast, I think, just the yeah. people you interview and ask them. But, you know, some people, yeah, everybody has a different reason for doing the Camino. They ne- say. Necesito practicar el español. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Claro que sí. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, where did you live in Spain? Or did you I'm go interviewing you here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I went to Madrid and Barcelona. Oh, God. Barcelona is my favorite city in yeah. the world, yeah. I think. Well, yeah, probably in Europe. Mm-hmm. I love London, too. I have one of these days when I'm rich and successful, I'm going to have an apartment in Barcelona, an apartment in London, and just like go back and forth and be really. That sounds great. Just I'm... like 65 and like doing dinners and beaches and then wearing my tweed jackets in London. Oh, it's yeah, gonna be great. that's the that's the dream. That isn't is it? the dream, but yeah. also New York. I mean, New York. Yeah, I mean, I've I've never lived in New York, and I feel like I need. I to. think that you, you would should. kill it. You do in very New well. York. You think? I, I think so. So, I mean, I have my California beach hair now. <laughs> that works. It I plays mean, here. you just you know, I have yeah. to cut it a little bit. Because I do, I do. I think that's one thing that in stand-up and comedy that kind of does haunt me is that I'm like, oh, I never did time in New York. I never did that. Like That's that why we grind. came here, because we never did it here. Yeah. But we did a lot over there but even then it still doesn't feel but but the quality of the quality of comedy in New York is the best yeah like I, I and I didn't realize how uh how spoiled we were being there until I started coming to like a lot of mics out here and yeah. I was like how are people getting away with this shit? Yeah, like honestly, people would be booed off the fucking stage or, or just treated with silent, like more silent than the silence here. Like there's. There's like a mic silence in New York that is yeah 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 uh, the, the, the critics you, in New York let you feel it you know yeah. that is like you could tell no, someone's not breathing you could yeah. tell that they've just decided <laughs> to shut off yeah. while you're saying your stupid shit <laughs> it's amazing uh, um but okay but we okay we have to put those t- we have to put the time t- 
together. We have to put the time from a Spanish camp to you being a comic together because way too much shit happened yeah. in between DC there. DC happened in between there, right? Yeah. But we don't even know how you got to DC. So you spent a year in Spain. I didn't. I actually only spent. So I was Spanish camp for the summer. I was there as a camper, but ended up liking it. So I ended up working there the second part of the summer. Amazing. Just like stayed. I'm like, I'm not going back to Mineral Wells. Um, then went to Spain my first semester of my senior year. Had to go back. Went back begrudgingly and graduated in May and then immediately left and backpacked in Australia. What? I went back to Spanish camp again and worked there that summer and saved up money and then went to Australia and got a visa. Like, I'm 19 at this point. I'm like, I was, that my parents let me do this. Like, I don't know that I would let my own children do this, but somehow I convinced them that, like, this was the path for me and this is what I, but I knew I also wasn't ready to exactly start school college yet yeah. I got and I hadn't gotten accepted any anywhere I really wanted to go uh but so I was like so I left uh backpacked in Australia for seven months and, or worked in I worked at a restaurant in Sydney for a few months and then because oh I had God. like a work visa and was just doing I know it's such a cool kid and now I'm like shit? now I'm like 33 and like <laughs> living it anyway <laughs> and uh, I'm like oh my god I have to get up and exercise yeah Uh, (laughs) there was just you know i mean there was also like this is the advent of the internet like these things became possible because i found like oh i found this program that like helped people get visas to go to australia and so Mm -hmm. i did that and then came back and felt like i was following behind my peer group so like started college at this state school in texas with the intent of leaving but actually started and i mean i love education and like i loved college college was great it was it wasn't a prestigious school by any means but i studied linguistics i was taking korean classes and like yeah being a student it's delicious being all the yeah and Mm -hmm. i loved it and i joined a fraternity (laughs) believe it or not what i was in a conservative southern fraternity still conservative one still somewhat in like still pretty much in the closet i think at this point it's kind of a glass closet but yeah (laughs) fraternity i don't you know like the long arc of my life has been towards progressive like you know openly gay whatever but there were some bumps along the way. Sure. You know, I got <laughs> I got acknowledged. But so I joined this fraternity, but those guys are still some of my best friends in the whole world. And I was like, I came out my senior year and I think I was one of like probably the first openly gay brother in that chapter. Wow, congrats. So, I mean, I don't know that they, I, there were maybe others of various degrees, yeah, but, but I was the first existence. one that's like, eh, I don't care anymore. You <laughs> educated them all, I'm sure. I hope so, yeah. yeah. But that being said, had I been openly gay when I had rushed or when I'd started, they never would have let me in. So I'm like, wow. there's like, eh, I don't know that that's yeah. But they loved you so much as a person that they were like, yeah. oh, I guess your sexual identity doesn't really yeah. matter. Yeah. yeah, especially after like they got to know me. Uh, and you got to keep in mind, this is 2004. I mean, like, LGBT rights and issues have come so far mm-hmm. in like 15 years. Isn't that, it crazy uh, how quickly things have moved? I mean, Hillary Clinton, I, like none of these people thought, believed in gay, supported gay marriage is right. as late as like 2012, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. You got to think like 2004, 2005 is a different world. So do you feel like super trendy right now? In what sense? <laughs> I feel like be- no. I actually like your think- existence, your identity is like so. You went from being like having to hide completely who you were behind this like sheath, uh, closet door, clear or otherwise, yeah. and now it just can be completely out in the open. Like how? Yeah, I mean, that- I guess that like socially and in the world that that is uh, 
true, but I also am like, oh, it's like being gay is actually not that interesting anymore. <laughs> like the the culture's kind of moved Sorry, on. Sorry, you've been overridden by trans by trans yeah, people, and like true. I mean, you know, like like it's even like you know, like 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 african-american issues and like you know like black lives matter like these are so much more important to people they're like all right the gays got their stuff now like there's other stuff to worry about and i'm like i'm i'm interested still please <laughs> like me i do but sometimes yeah. i'm like even on stage i'm like being a gay performer i'm like oh that's not that interesting like i and like then like people, three other gay performers come right after yeah you're you're like, like, damn oh, god damn it yeah but anyway yeah so that that's i guess how i feel about that but then it does feel like the culture's moved very far but also sometimes like just with my parents and like there seems to be like a gap there too. Like we're all on board and the younger mm -hmm. generation is all on board. But like having conversations with my parents about it is still really, really, really tough. Yeah, for sure. We drove. So we drove cross country to get here. Um from he's seen her. New York, he's New seen Jersey. her three minutes a few times. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, we drove through, a, you know, a lot of America that we had never seen before. That it's like it's so it's vastly different from the experience that we had had. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's a lot of America for whom like being gay is still super uh, controversial. So mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Keep doing comedy festivals not in big cities. I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, I vomit in the studio. <laughs> what if I? Yeah, it's a cold, cold brew burp, cold burp, cold burp. Well, um, MK, which stands for what? Marcus Kyle. Marcus Kyle. Marcus Marcus with the C or a K? Marcus with the C. Marcus Kyle. Do you ever go by that? When did you stop going by that? Uh, growing up, everybody called me Mark. My family Weird. still calls me Mark. Uh, my then I in in high school, in college, I kind of kind of went by Marcus. And then, yeah, I've gone by very, either Mark or Marcus a lot in my life. And then when I started doing stand-up in D.C., we didn't even get to D.C. Uh, the, the long short is when I was in college, I ended up spending uh, the first semester of my senior year in college as an intern in Washington, D.C., and loved it and kind of had my first boyfriend mm -hmm. and then came back and came out and then was like, I'm, and then immediately moved back to D.C. after I finished. Mm -hmm. uh, and then worked in 2008 on like for the North Carolina Democratic Party doing like uh, politics. I mean, w I graduated literally May 2008, literally a month after the economy fell out. <laughs> like, oh, good job. Nice. Yeah. Me, me too. And so, and so the only like literally one of the only options available was working on political campaigns. And yeah. and so I like did that and I made a little bit of money. And then I ended up going back to D.C. and working on the Hill for a few years and then worked on K Street as an administrative associate. This is a whole other conversation that I want to have with you because yeah. like I, we're obsessed with Veep. And uh, yeah, I was so I was a special assistant to a congresswoman. I was essentially you were the, fucking I was essentially Gary. the Gary to. Oh, an, my uh, God. Wait, yeah. I, wasn't Jay also a Gary? Well, he may have been. I don't remember. I think he was. I think we there were a about lot that. of like. I mean, Capitol Hill is run by gays. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, 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 like, so many openly gay staffers on Capitol Hill. I mean, we had a group. Like, we had a <laughs> listserv. I love that. And, a listserv. Yeah, we oh, had I a listserv those. that we would just like <laughs> send out. Like, what's going on today, girls? You know, <laughs> uh, it was great. But um, yeah, that uh, yeah. So I I did that. I mean. It wasn't as to the level of what Gary was, but I was a special assistant and kind of legislative correspondent and wrote and did a lot of speeches. And you and were like, this is everybody's has sticks up their asses. And how can I release that a little bit? And right. That's where humor comes in. Yeah. 
And the, 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 I think for me, the thing that was funny was that I was like the special assistant to an African-American congresswoman mm-hmm. and like sometimes her wig wouldn't be on straight and I'd like put her wig oh, on you straight. Had some, you had to be extra. You had to be, there was a little extra, you know, make sure she had her scarf on or like follow her with her bag and, and you know, oh God, one time I remember I accidentally <laughs> took her to this wrong, it was like a tax reform reception and I <laughs> took her on accident to the wrong reception and it's like all these people oh are God. like what is what is that congresswoman doing here and she's a democratic congresswoman she's yeah. like, what is that congresswoman doing here and i had to be like oh god what have i done and just like get her out as fast as i could and i'm like congresswoman i'm so sorry we're in the wrong reception we have to go we have to go oh now. god i this could never like, handle that job i would have yeah. a heart attack in oh one god. day yeah, yeah me too we have to talk about this. We have to have you back to discuss your your DC years. Thank you, thank yeah. you for joining in on yes. this. This is bit. This is I know. Mine's you put also, your finger in there, or tighten it. Or listeners, they're talking about. <laughs> We're talking <laughs> about Mike Wires. Mike Wires. Mike Wires. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we should do a whole podcast on Mike Wires. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, that would blow up. That would was, go as viral. As a child, I was obsessed with microphones because of. Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and he had a thing with wires. He had like a he had like a certain command over wires, which I don't. Clearly, I keep getting my finger caught in them. Well, oh, like, I like I like different comic styles with how they deal with mic wires. Uh-huh. Some of them like are constantly playing with them the or Bob, winding what is them. It, the Bob Barker. The, the Bob. I love the Bob Barker. There's also <laughs> the, the, the ice cream cone. Yeah, where it's like you kind of like hold. Oh it yeah, and, people like, who hold their mics yeah, from the bottom. Yeah. Like yeah. The, like, uh, yeah. Yeah. They're so phallic. I love it. There's all kinds of good stuff to to do with mics. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I know. I want to have a podcast about grown up shit. Like I, I the, we've been doing this for three and a half years, and we're always talking about childhood stuff. Yeah. And I'm always like, but we're got like, about on the ten about regular listeners. I don't know. It could be much more than we know. Could, we have no idea. We have no idea about yeah. what's going on. But um, anyway, at the end of every episode, um, I give a I give whoever our guest is some artifact from my youth that Ooh. is still in my childhood bedroom, which remains intact because um, we I never moved even once. So uh, rather than throw anything away because I'm bad at that, I just give it a new life. So all we oh. ask is that you take it with you, and even if you throw it away, do it out of sight of me. Okay. Okay. Great. So for you <laughs> today, MK, I have from the bedroom of young Lisa Mandel. The tiniest deck of cards. Oh, this is great. No, this is like so good for me to have. I mean, I don't know why. Maybe you can like read your tarot with so it. Not, but that is beautiful. You give a little piece of yourself to everybody exactly, you have on the some podcast. People have left shit in the studio before. And I was <laughs> like, also, like, you are banished. Smiley so put mean. it back in her bag one yeah. time, like on the way out. Oh, yeah. And he was like, I thought it would be funny. And I was like, that's not funny. That's heartbreaking. Really My soul. Hard. Are you going to shuffle them? I'm going to shuffle your cards. Oh, my God. You're so good at that. <laughs> nice. We went on. I mean, this is a story from my child. We would go on these long road trips and my parents' gold ash van when we were a kid <gasps> and I would literally oh. sit in the back and practice shuffling cards. I was so <laughs> good. So to this day, still a pretty good shuffler. Oh, that's so great. Mm-hmm. Well, now you can play your tiny solitaire. I know my hands are so big. It's like Shaquille O'Neal holding that's a That's why it's even better. Tiny. <laughs> that's why it's even better. Yeah. Um, uh, anything that you would like to plug real quick before we leave? Uh, I do a weekly show here in L.A. in Frogtown, in the Frogtown neighborhood called Golden Hour. It's Sundays at 7 o'clock. You can come out. It's a lot of fun. Uh, some great some great lineups coming up. Also, Twitter at MK Paulson. It's P-A-U-L-S-E-N. It's, my name is Susan Saran Rap. I, ra- I learned that I today, that. and I fucking <laughs> yeah, love it. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's awesome. Well, um, 
I think you're great. So thanks for yeah, uh, thanks for having this. me. This is great. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank yeah. you. And uh, to all you guys out there, oh, if anybody's listening toward the to the very end of this, we have a live show in New York, October fifteenth at nine at QED in Astoria. Um, and until then, you guys, treasure, treasure what, what got, got you, you here. here. <laughs> nice, nice Attention Springwood, my name is Josh Krebs. And I'm Liz Richards. And we're the hosts of Bloody Date Night. So Josh and I have been dating for four years, and Josh loves horror movies, and I hate them. Yeah, so each episode we go through the horror movie franchise canon to watch an episode and then meet up and we discuss it together. And so far it's been going pretty well, right Liz? I think it's gone pretty well so far. Yeah, each episode I try to see how far I can push Liz to watch a really good horror movie until she basically leaves me and it hasn't worked yet. Not yet. And it's awesome because you're the Tatum to my Sydney. You're sweet. And here's a clip from one of our recent episodes. Hello, I'm Exposition. Hey, let me t- let me tell you what just happened. There's a break-in at this costume store. Somebody stole some ropes, some knives. Somebody stole a mask. They stole $250. <laughs> they scared a cat. They took two boas. They took two boas. Two feather boas, one I, set of angel wings. It's one of those goddamn... They're probably having a burlesque. <laughs> probably doing a burlesque show later. I don't know. Oh, Haddonfield. What isn't happening? Haddonfield's first bullet. Burlesque <laughs> club. That'd be amazing. I would love that. Um, the Lacey Pumpkin. The Lacey... Ooh. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!